If you are able to stand, please stand for the reading of God's word. Our text for today is Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Romans 5, 6 through 8. The authoritative word of God reads as follows. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. For your word indeed is a lamp unto our feet. For indeed your word is clear and gives us instruction, gives us rebuke. But most of anything, gives us hope in a Savior that has rescued us from sin. Let us meditate this morning, Lord. In your word, so that your Holy Spirit may grant us repentance from our sins. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I titled today's sermon, God's Mercy in Saving, Part 1. And the subtitle, How Weak Are You? We will focus specifically on verse 6. And we will see part 2 next week, Lord willing. A quick recap, we're making our way through the book of Romans, now in chapter 5. Last Sunday, Deacon James preached on the concept that when we suffer as Christians, it is not in vain. There's a purpose for that suffering. Continuing the train of thought of Paul, the author of the book of Romans, he's making the point that not only should we rejoice that we have peace with God and have access to his grace, but that we should also rejoice in suffering and tribulation. The Christian life is uniquely positioned to let us know that even in our suffering, even in the worst of our days, that too is sovereignly appointed by the authority of God so that the outcome of our suffering would be that it refines us, that it makes us to align with God's purposes and become more and more into the likeness of Christ. In that, we come to know that there is no shortcuts for sanctification. There's no, short, no shortcuts. We could read plenty of scripture, we could do plenty of prayer, but sanctification comes through suffering, through self-denial. There's no shortcut. Just like there will be no shortcut to come into a glorified state when we are with Christ. Physical death must come first before we reach that state. Unless the Lord comes while we're still alive, then we skip that step. Otherwise, we will have to first die. So what is Paul's main point? What is he trying to tell us? main point of this text is this, that the appointed time came in which Christ died for those that are weak, ungodly sinners. 
So in considering God's mercy in his saving of us, we will focus on verse 6, and we're going to focus on three things. First, what does it mean to be weak? Secondly, how did, who did Christ die for? And thirdly, directly related to the sermon title, how weak are you? All right, so number one, what does it mean to be weak when we read this here in the book of Romans? The first half of that verse there, verse 6, it says, For while we were still weak, Paul there is saying that he and the Christians he's writing to, there was a certain point where they were weak. They were still weak. That is the condition in which God had mercy on them, on those that were weak. That word, weak, asthenes in the Greek, it means helpless, one who is in absolute, who is absolutely unable to do anything for themselves. Specifically, in the context of being well spiritually, absolutely helpless, can do nothing about it. Let us remember that to miss that understanding of human nature, it is the key error of every false religion and ideology. The fact that man is absolutely unable, there's nothing you could do, spiritually speaking. The failure to recognize that aspect of the human condition has plagued many churches. Let us keep that in mind. Romans 3.23, as was quoted earlier in Sunday school. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And further, Romans 3.10-13 says, As it is written, which is a quote from the book of Isaiah, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. That is a state of weakness, of inability that Paul is referring to. The natural tendency of every human being is to be weak, to not seek God, to want to be autonomous. Jesus, in preparing to go to the cross, warned his disciples not to be weak, not to be unable. Matthew 26, 41, it says, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Same word used there. Flesh is weak. Spiritually speaking, then, a non-Christian is not only weak, but spiritually speaking, is dead, unable to do anything for himself or herself. That is what Paul means when he says, while we were still weak. Everyone who is not a Christian, at some point, were weak 
dead. Can't do nothing. You're in a miserable condition. So in that condition, it is that we now turn to the second point. Who did Jesus die for? Now we look at the verse in its entirety. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So when we ask the question, who did Christ die for? Our Reformed tendency will tell us, for the elect, which is correct. However, that's not the context in which we're speaking here. Okay? The specific context here is that Christ died for the ungodly, for those who are weak, for those who are sinners. Let us take a quick look at Luke 5, verses 30 to 32. This is Jesus interacting with the Pharisees. It says, And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus didn't come for the righteous. He came for the ungodly. I thought of an example as I was going over my sermon yesterday. Our dear deacon Eric is not doing well, medically speaking. We're praying for him. We hope that as a church, we come together and offer some options so that he can take better care of his health, of his eating habits, of his stress, right? Imagine for a second that Brother Eric lived in a remote village in which there was no access to medical care. It just happened to be that today, a renowned doctor showed up to that village with available supplies and medicine offering care. How foolish would it be if Brother Eric was in such situation and when asked if he needed help, he responded to that doctor and his team, nah, I'm good. I'm good. The lack of acknowledgement that he needs help. During the ministry of Jesus on this earth, when he walked this earth, they were those who, spiritually speaking, thought they were well. Today, it is no different. There are those who think that they are okay without Christ, that they are well. Either with a non-Christian spirituality or with some sort of religious or pagan mumbo-jumbo. To them, Jesus says, hear me now, to them that say that they're okay, Jesus says, I did not come for you. See that? That is very heavy. Jesus says, I didn't come for those who are righteous. But is there someone who is righteous? No. There are those who think they are righteous. Jesus says, I didn't come for you. Not because Jesus is unable to save, but because the rebellion of sin of such darkened hearts have submerged themselves 
in such rebellion that they want nothing to do with the Savior. And the physician that can give them life says, I didn't come for them. So then Jesus died for the ungodly, for those who were unable to do anything for themselves, for those who recognize they are lost in their sins and in need of a Savior. Which leads us to the last and final point, which is actually the application for today. And that is the question, how weak are you? Let us go back to the first half of the verse. For a while we were still weak. All of us, all of us here, at one point or another, have been of the opinion that we do not need God. I was a hardcore proponent of that. God, Jesus, get out of here with that nonsense. In retrospect, it makes sense that I thought that. Because scripture says that the gospel, the things of God, are foolishness to those who are perishing. So it is a rational response as, as dumb as it is. The gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. Now, there might be some who say, you know what, I am, ne I am in need of some help. I will do some good works. I will try to be good for some time. I will pray to God that he would help me. And then I'll take care, rest. I'll take care of all the rest things in my life that need fixing. If that is such an attitude of someone, that too is an indication that Christ did not come for you. Let us look at Proverbs 14, verse 12. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. All of us who are now Christians, at the point where we were saying, nah, I'm good, I don't need Jesus, the gospel, church, nah. that was us. That thought seemed right to us, but the end of that is not only physical, but spiritual death. And then there are also the religious ones who in their perceived strength think they can do something to please God and can win the favor of God. Now again, just like at some point all of us were in the camp where we thought we did not need anything from God. Let me say, let me confess that many times we can flirt with that and be like, oh, I'm really good, look at me now. Can't do that. So then, we cannot please God. We cannot claim salvation if we think that we only need a little bit of help or if our lives reflect that we have no submission, that we need nothing from God. Christ came for those who acknowledge their inability, their weakness, their sickness, who have perhaps hit rock bottom and said, as Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, did when he knew that Jesus was passing by. What was his cry? Son of David, please heal my blindness. Son of David, please give me food. 
He said, son of David, have mercy on me. A contrite heart. Christ came to those who also have the attitude of the repentant tax collector who we are told that knowing his sin did not even have the ability to look up. But instead, in his contrite heart, turned to God and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Scripture tells us that such attitude of a genuine, humbled, contrite heart are the ones who go away justified before God. Those who have nothing to offer because they are weak, because they are unable, because they recognize they're bankrupt, spiritually speaking. And they know that they are dead. There's nothing they could do. They are weak. After all, what can a dead body offer? Nothing? They could offer something. It'll stink real bad. Doesn't take long. If we come to God like that, in a dead state, that's the only thing we're offering to God. So then we return to say and to ask today's question. Not are you weak, but how weak are you? And do you recognize that you're weak? May this question today remind us of our incapability to please God by being a good person or meeting him halfway. No such thing. Those are not vital options if we are to be forgiven and rescued from sin. Our condition outside of Christ is that we are utterly, helplessly weak, incapable, ungodly sinners. Now, the good news, the great news, is that those who recognize that condition, and when we recognize that condition, it's only because the Holy Spirit revealed it to us. And as you will, turn on that light switch in us. When we do realize that, Acknowledging our sin, turning to Christ in repentance is when we become born again. Because those are the very ones that Jesus came to save. The ones who were weak and unable. So as we think of our weakness, let us remember that in our weakness, God gives us his strength by his Holy Spirit who has the strength to change our minds, our hearts, our lives and who is powerful enough to raise the dead. As Christians, many times we read that God raised Jesus from the dead and it can become something we're just used to hearing. My friends, if you've ever seen a dead body touched a dead mutilated body imagine that corpse coming back to life and not only to the condition of being a normal human but becoming a glorified body that is the power that God has 
And because of that, we have hope. Not the hope of saying, maybe God will come. No. The hope that the Bible talks about is the assurance of those things to come that are promised by God. I'll leave you with this verse. Psalm 73, 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you as today we have been confronted with your word, with the truth of your gospel. Let us not go away justifying ourselves or condemning others and thinking highly of ourselves, for there is no such thing, Lord. Let us have a contrite spirit and a contrite heart in coming to you in our weakness, knowing that you are a great God who heals, a great God who forgives. And as Jesus forgives us, Lord, we cannot be condemned by anyone. For the one that has the power to condemn us welcomes us. In that, we rejoice. Make that true in our lives today, Lord, that we may have the hope of life that is only found in Jesus Christ. In his name, it is that we pray. Amen.